0: Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Robert II! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. And
1: welcome to Rex Factor reviewing all the kings and queens of Scots from Kenneth Macalpin to James the <laughs> 6th. So, Robert II, perhaps not a name that's going to ring a lot of bells, but he is the first monarch of the House of
0: Stuart. Oh, Okay, so we're getting there, aren't we? We really are now. But that means that this is our last dynasty, then? It is our last dynasty, indeed. Oh, This is rather a sad day.
1: A poignant moment, but thankfully there are plenty of Stuarts for us to get our teeth into, so we're not done with them yet. So, we're going to do a quick bit of backgroundy stuff in terms of the House of Stuart, Mm. how it is that they come to be ruling Scotland, and then we'll get into Robert the second and see if he can impress a bit more than david the second who you weren't really a big fan of
0: i he, I, he annoyed me so much <laughs> and it's perhaps a little unfair and the people on facebook were certainly uh, more forgiving than i was but <laughs> by the end i was just oh, someone get rid of him so at the house of Stuart, we've got um a couple of
1: interpretations in terms of where they come from mm. firstly the shakespearean version Oh, right. And actually, we've technically covered this before, because it was in Macbeth.
0: Are they that old?
1: Well, in Macbeth, the legend is that he um, is speaking to the witches. He's concerned about his uh, one-time ally, Banquo. So he says to the witches, Yet my heart throbs to know one thing. Tell me, if you art can tell so much, shall Banquo's issue ever reign in this kingdom? whereby the witches tell him that Banquo will never reign, but they present an apparition of a long line of Banquo's descendants, which include eight kings. So Banquo won't, re- uh, won't reign, but his descendants will be kings.
0: How much are we to take that That what he's writing there is propaganda, given that he was writing in the time of a Scottish king? Of James VI yeah.
1: and James I of England. Certainly there is a propagandist element there. Wow. But actually, to be fair, Shakespeare was basing this on... Kind of contemporary histories hmm. that predated James becoming King of England. Right. um So it was actually believed for a long time. So what happens is that Macbeth arranges for the murder of Banquo, but Banquo's son, Fleance, escapes, and thus from him is descended the Stuart dynasty, right. ultimately come to rule. So it's not actually until the 19th century that it's properly disproved by an historian that there's no foundation for. Banco and Flayance whatsoever. Those jolly
0: historians, they ruin everything.
1: Though to be fair, there isn't a known individual in the Stuart dynasty prior to the 11th century. And Macbeth is, of course, in the 11th century, so you never know. Maybe Mm. there's a nugget of truth. Is this right? So what we do, the actual origins, as we know about Mm. them, are that they are a Norman family. Mm. So the first known individual is a chap called Flard. But that's just a noise. <laughs> so what shall we call him? Flard. Well, okay. I mean, to be fair, you you were getting to that stage when you had your name interest. I was, yeah. I was that tired. Um, so his brother <laughs> was a steward or seneschal to the Counts of Dole in Brittany. Um, his brother didn't return from the Crusades with Robert of Normandy, the eldest son of uh, William. Yeah. Uh, so Flaard <laughs> becomes the uh, steward. But then his son, Alan Fitzflard... <laughs> Uh, is recruited as a mercenary by Henry I of England, and he's later appointed sheriff of Shropshire. Right. Because being from Brittany, he speaks Breton, which is, has certain similarity to Welsh. So he yeah. Able to. Oh, that's interesting. Speak the lingo. Uh, he then becomes a courtier, and then we get Walter Fitz Allen, i.e., his son, who becomes mates with David I of Scotland.
0: Right. And David so I
1: of Scotland was a protege of Henry I, so that's yeah the mix of those. So he
0: they're climbing the social ladder a bit there.
1: So, Walter Fitzallen supports Matilda during the anarchy in England. Yeah. Then after that, he joins David in Scotland, and he's appointed the first High Steward of Scotland.
0: Because he was sort of on the winning side there in the end, the English. And you mentioned before, steward is a sort of uh, a corruption
1: of steward. So, apparently the word steward comes from the Anglo-Saxon stig, meaning hall, and weird, meaning guardian.
0: Oh, like, and is that where we get the word ward from, to be a... Ward of to be a protection of no, somebody, so yeah,
1: the guardian, somebody's guardian. Oh. So it's a high office. Yeah, it's a high office of state. So it's kind of responsible for the management of the royal household. Often has a military command, right? As well, um, but it's the third high steward in Scotland that adopts Stuart as a surname. But it's initially spelt S-T-E-W-A-R-T. Is it? We now oh. would spell it S-T-U-A-R-T. Yeah. So it's only when we have Mary Queen of Scots and she goes to France and the French struggle to pronounce it with a W. So she changed the spelling just to make That's, it easier on them. Because
0: I'm sure I've seen it spelt both ways, actually. Mm.
1: Anyway, what about Robert the Second? Yes. He is the son of Walter Stuart, who is the sixth high steward, and of Marjorie Bruce, who is the daughter of Robert the Bruce. OK. So right. he's the grandson of Robert the Bruce. Mm. And he's born on the 2nd of March, 1316, which means that he's nearly 55 years old when he becomes king in 1371.
0: Good grief. Which oh, is, that's because David clung on for so long, isn't it? yeah,
1: so the weird thing was he was grandson of Robert the, the I, yeah, and he was technically the nephew of David the Second, the previous monarch, but he was actually older than his uncle,
0: oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah. You mentioned that last time, so uh, it's just primogeniture that took precedence there rather yes. than okay, my right, oldest boy, so. We don't have
1: a uh, a portrait of Robert the Second. Mm. We're getting near to the era where we will have portraits I actually. I think once we get to the Jameses we will have actual images. But we always have the heritage playing card limited artist interpretation. Ali, what are you expecting?
0: Um plenty of tartan mm. given what we were just talking about the hat. Uh I'm hoping someone a bit more boss like his grandfather. Yeah. Less David. Mm. Uh trying to think what was going on the last episode to yeah warry warry stuff I'm thinking a nice cocked hat tartan trousers sword let's see uh, right <laughs> I have to say I wasn't expecting that <laughs> seriously he has a I mean if you were to cover that head it wouldn't be out of place if you were to put like, Elizabeth the First head on that. Yeah, definitely. It's Was he a cross-dress? A um,
1: not that I think we're going to be covering, but again, that's one for your PhD thesis. Yeah, well, I options. mean, the, the
0: evidence this is... I'd base it all on the Eight of Spades <laughs> <laughs> heritage playing card. Uh, I, I better try and describe this. It's um, a long-flowing, tightly-fit sort of bodice <laughs> section... Um, but the uh, bottom half is long flowing and he has sort of wizard sleeves very high fluffy collar and it's midnight blue with sparkling stars on it. No tartan No tartan, no sword uh, no cocked hat though he does have a little crown but he doesn't look very happy with the get up I've (laughs) got to be honest (laughs) he's looking like he's been dressed up (laughs) Oh good grief Does he look wary? No, (laughs) no not at all he looks concerned in case anyone sees him in his, in his finery there. Oh, I suppose. And uh,
1: this won't work for anybody other than those of us in the room, but by the eight of spades, you did, of course, mean... <laughs> Clubs!
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, in terms of his early years, his grandfather, James, was the fifth high steward. His he, grandfather? His was... grandfather was called James. I thought it was Robert. Grandfather on his uh, father's side. Right. His paternal grandfather... The Stuart line was James the Fifth High Steward, right. and he's one of the original guardians of Scotland, who was appointed in 1286 when Alexander the Third died, and it was all a bit uncertain about who was meant to be ruling. You did the theme
0: tune, and I did
1: that theme yeah. tune. Um, so he was an early supporter of Robert the Bruce, but he died in 1309. So then, Robert II's father, Walter, fought at the Battle of Bannockburn when he was only 18 years old. Mm. Got knighted straight afterwards by Robert the Bruce, and obviously was well favoured by the Bruce because a year later he gets to marry Robert the Bruce's only child
0: and daughter, Marjorie. Ooh, wow, that's an enormous honour. What did he do at the battle? Must have. I don't know. <laughs> must have do, do you reckon it's possible he saved Robert the Bruce's life at one point, like uh, in the middle of a battle? He, he, I mean, he definitely wanted to give him some rewards. He did, but, didn't he? Because that's the. Biggest reward he can get. It's his biggest bargaining, bargaining chip. Because at this head. point, yes, that's his only child and yeah. heir. Wow. I'm going to assume that he saved his life. Okay.
1: Uh, so Marjorie Bruce, mother of Robert II, was imprisoned by Edward I in 1306. Oh, sorry. She did narrowly avoid being put in a cage, but only just. Um, sadly, though, she's thrown from her horse while heavily pregnant. Oh, God. And went into premature labour and died apparently after a caesarean section.
0: Oh, which is, poor woman in those
1: days. She's only 19 or 20 at this point when she dies, which also, tragically, exactly the same age as her mother when oh. she died giving birth to Marjorie. So it seems to have be been yeah. something in the family. So Robert never knows his mother. And his father is still about? Um, and his father dies in 1327, Wow. Towards the end of Robert the Bruce's reign. So, this is when. Oh, I've already forgotten. He's just 11 years old at this point. Oh, gosh. <clears throat> so, he's put under the guardianship of his uncle, and he's brought up on Stuart lands in Butte, Clydeside, and uh, Renfrew. So, he's perhaps a bit more Gaelic in character than David II, because he's in Stuart lands kind of to the west, a little bit more to the north. David II becomes king when he's only five years old in 1329, but Robert's 13. Right. So Robert's on the verge of manhood, whilst David is in his starting yeah. his awkward minority. Unfortunately, as we recall from last time, we had Edward III of England launching an invasion of Scotland. Hmm. So Robert was actually involved in the fighting of this. He led a wing in a major defeat in the Battle of Hallidan Hill in 1333 when he was just seventeen years old. Wow! Um, he fled to Dumbarton Castle, and um, where David the Second and his wife also went. David gets sent off into exile in France, but Robert stays and becomes guardian of Scotland. So, he's appointed alongside John Randolph in 1334, and they seem to have quite a tense relationship, this other noble of some power. In 1335, Robert's lands are under siege, and Randolph was captured, so Robert actually submitted to Edward III at this point. Probably wise. Probably wise, but instead the Scots appoint Andy Murray as guardian. (laughs) Yeah, And he leads quite an impressive recovery uh, yeah. and gets a lot of Scottish lands back. And what's more, Edward III gets busy starting the Hundred Years' War with France, mm. not focusing quite so much on Scotland. Mm. Andy Murray died in 1338, so Stuart was restored as the Guardian and Scotland is secured, so it's safe enough for David II to come back. Mm-hmm. Which he does.
0: Mm, yeah, d- time and time again.
1: However, they seem to have developed an immediate antipathy. <laughs> so if he said, David II he's younger than Robert, despite being yeah. uh, the uncle, but until David has children, Robert is his heir.
0: And he's more successful.
1: He's got some military experience, and he spent a lot of time building up a uh, pretty strong power base yeah. in Scotland.
0: I like this man.
1: So David seems to turn in to oust Robert. Mm. Earliest convenience. Earliest convenience. Um, he seems to have considered uh, establishing his nephew, uh, John of Sutherland, as a potential heir instead of Stuart, but he never quite manages it. So David spent lots of time building up a rival power base in this court of sort of chivalry and all this kind of mm. stuff inspired by his time in France, but then suffers a heavy defeat at the Battle of Neville's Cross in 1346 when he invades northern England. Randolph, the other rival, is killed, um, and then Robert Stuart fled the field, probably expecting to go home and become king. Why would he assume that? He assumes that David's going to be killed in the fighting. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I'm liking this guy more and more. I would definitely assume that as well. Um so he would have been quite annoyed when he discovered that, despite suffering um, a couple of arrow shots to the face, David yeah. survived and was captured by the English.
0: That's the one thing in all of my uh, in all of my dislike of David yeah. that I I keep forgetting he did get shot in the face by an arrow. It's Too amazing. Nice. Yeah. Amazing.
1: Um, So Edward III has now got David II um, prisoner in England. Mm. So Robert Stewart is appointed guardian again, and he kind of adopts the mantle of the patriotic cause, because David, trying to get himself released, has all these kind of schemes that he's doing, becomes quite busy mates with Edward III, Mm. and David proposes having the Plantagenets, the English royal men, named as his heirs. So when David dies... Initially Edward III, but then probably more likely John of Gaunt, his third son, one of his other sons, mm. will become king of Scots. David thinks, well, I could still have kids at some point, but bonus is I'm getting rid of Robert Stewart. Yeah. Robert Stewart thinks, well, I can't have this, I'm not going to be king. So yeah. he's like, well, look at this guy trying to make the English kings. This isn't what my grandfather fought for, let's reject this. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: So Robert does basically all he can for the next 11 years to stop David getting released.
0: Yeah, and it's a more attractive cause to Scots, surely. Mm.
1: And he builds up his estates, he makes strategic marriage alliances. He's basically just making himself really powerful again.
0: He's just doing perhaps what David should have done. He's being quite an effective ruler here.
1: Well, he's doing what David was trying to do, but David Mm. kept (laughs) kept getting it wrong. 1357, David was released um, for a 100000 mark ransom. Sheesh. Um, And he sought to immediately offset Stuart Power and once again build up an alternative yeah. uh, power block in Scotland. So he marries a woman called Margaret Drummond.
0: Where's she from?
1: Um, well, she's got her family and her her initial husband, who's bought off, and then also her father's family. Both of those have got a lot of rivals that sort have of landed territories near the Stuarts.
0: Yeah. Okay. We covered her, didn't we, last time? We covered yeah. her.
1: Um, Robert Stuart leads um, or is part of a failed rebellion in 1363. Mm-hmm and he's really brought to heel a bit by David at that point, and his prospects are starting to look a bit bleak. David, having tried to get rid of Margaret uh, Drummond, unsuccessfully, as it turned out, was preparing to remarry Hmm. with another Scottish family whose lands would threaten the Stuarts. Robert Stuart is, of course, now into his 50s. You'd expect him to die soon because, (laughs) you know, at that time. (laughs) But, incredibly, in 1371, despite only being in his 40s, David II died suddenly, without having any children. What did he over get As well, we don't know. Maybe it was complications from his injuries that had never quite healed. Maybe he, face injuries, his face injuries. I still or, well head injuries, suppose as well. You know, yeah. he suffered headaches and stuff. But so, without this seeming likely to happen at all, in 1371, becoming 55 years old, Robert the Second, well, Robert Stuart now becomes Robert the Second.
0: That must be our oldest king. I, th- king th- at I think extension. in Scotland, I think that is yeah. the
1: oldest uh, exceeding monarch we've ever had. Um, now. There's a bit of a debate about his physical state at this point. Yeah, right. Some chroniclers suggest that he was worn out, old, which I suppose he was, and suffering with eye problems. Probably true. So, one, he was young, he was quite rash, quite precocious, as we saw, he was a little bit Machiavellian. Mm. He's now a little bit more kindly, sort of peaceful old chap. I really like him. Um, According to Walter Bower, author of the Scottish Chronicon, um, he said he was humble and gentle... Friendly in appearance, a cheerful man, an honourable king, witty in his responses, admirable in the way he carried himself, surpassing others in stature and the height of his
0: body. Well, I mean, that's Edward the First he's describing there, surely, isn't <laughs> I not mean, You can't tell here because they're all drawn to the same size on the card. Hmm. Maybe he's hiding quite some long legs there. Maybe. Potentially, he's quite a friendly
1: chap. But, but maybe that's because he's getting a bit old. He's yeah. not quite the force of nature that he was maybe in his 30s and 40s. Maybe it's come a bit too late. But he does have that history, so it's all in the tank there somewhere. I like him. He does have a difficult time in terms of what David II has left him, though. Um, the nobility is very divided. David's been you know, playing mm, around yeah. with them for the last 40 years, trying to get his power source. And there's something of a Damocles sword in terms of that ransom that the Scots have still got to pay off to Edward Third. And, of course, Edward III could still threaten to invade and enforce the Plantagenet succession.
0: Sorry, the, the ransom was for the release of David. It
1: was, but they haven't paid it all back yet, and Edward III is potentially going to still expect that to be paid off. A bit like war reparations, of Okay,
0: even though the other fellow's dead.
1: Yeah. And it might just
0: give him an excuse to invade anyway. Exactly. Right.
1: And what's more, Robert is not universally popular. He's made enemies... Hmm. Because we've seen a very factional court in Scotland during the reign of David II So it's not necessarily the case that Robert is going to be just acclaimed as king Particularly because he's somebody who was seen as a noble who would never actually be king Yeah, Which isn't an easy transition to make And indeed apparently as soon as he became king he faced some kind of opposition from a chap called William Douglas One of the border lords Who made some show of force in opposition to Robert's succession
0: why? What was in it for
1: him? Well, it's not really clear. It's unlikely that he was actually claiming the throne because his claim would have been so convoluted. Yeah, like, whereas Robert was so obvious as the mm. grandson of uh, Robert the Bruce. Probably he was trying to ensure his position at court and in his territory. He may have feared that Robert would try to sort of steal lots of lands of him and other people, and just given his past, that seems reasonable. To exactly, assume. but Robert uh, knighted William's son James. Whoa. And arranged a marriage between James and one of uh, Robert's own daughters. Wow! And probably a bit of a territorial agreement as well. So Robert's going to try and be a bit more conciliatory and bring the nobles on side wow. in a way that David didn't.
0: Okay. Yeah. Good move.
1: So he does become king. Yeah. And he has a major advantage over the David over David the second. David, despite all his marriages, was unable to produce any children. Yeah. Robert the second has got children by two wives. Oh, he's, oh right. Okay initially married to a woman called Elizabeth Muir in, um, well, sort of married in 1336, but because of all the chaos of the wars with England, they don't seem to have really had a proper canonical marriage.
0: Have why? Well, well
1: they, I guess they just never quite got round to it. I suppose a less um, polished version of that might be
0: to say that he was just kind of sleeping with her and not actually married. <laughs> right. Um, can I if you'd excuse me just to uh Hello to you, Robert. It's been a while since had a nice juicy bit of scandal. So he are we to assume that then those heirs are and and in the Well You know During the
1: captivity of David II, pretty much the first thing Robert Stewart does is write to the Pope yeah. rather than petition for David's release, Robert petitions the Pope Clement the Sixth to legitimise his marriage with Elizabeth Muir And indeed to legitimise his... Marriage. legitimise his children. I suppose, in fairness, you know, maybe they got married when it was all quite warry and all quite chaotic and they maybe weren't able to, you know, get the right bishop in place to sign all the documents.
0: Get the correct witnesses because they're all out stabbing each other. So anyway, that is
1: successful. So his children are now legitimised. Right. Um, his first wife dies in 1355. So then, apparently, quite soon afterwards, he marries a woman, Euphemia de Ross. Quite
0: soon afterwards, my fingers hovering.
1: It is fairly soon, right? Um, she was first married to his uh, his rival, John Randolph. Oh, right. So, unlike David, he's got an inbuilt support network just waiting to be used because he's got all these sons and daughters.
0: Yeah, and he can f- uh, flog the daughters off to.
1: Make more alliances Exactly So he grants major earldoms to his sons So John, the eldest, becomes the Earl of Carrick And is kind of quite powerful in the south Um, His second son, Robert, becomes the Earl of Fife And is kind Mm. of dominant in the centre And Alexander becomes the Lord of Badenoch Mm. And very powerful in the north of Scotland He's got it covered This This is a man who knows what he's doing And his daughters, like you say, he marries them off So we've got marriages to John, the Lord of the Isles Mm-hmm. So that's the Western ours, John Dunbar, the Earl of Murray, James Douglas, the one we mentioned earlier, who later becomes Earl Douglas,
0: Murray then is totally at heel now there's yeah, no- okay. so he's
1: marrying his daughters off to people around. You know, south, yeah, south, west, north. He's got people, his sons in the north, the centre and the south. Yeah. So suddenly he's got all these people in power. Brilliant. All ruling for him. So apparently 1377, seven out of the 16 earldoms in Scotland were under Stuart control. You can see why this dynasty lasted. And by the 1390s, it's 12 out of 16. Brilliant. So that's either directly they are Stuarts or it's a kind of a marriagey yeah. thing going on. Now, as we said, unlike David II, he didn't threaten existing interests in the nobility. So where he did transfer titles, he tended to provide pretty good compensation or give them mm. another title. He even had some of his uh, old enemies uh, appointed as justiciars in right. Scotland. No, so he's really
0: even-handed. He's bringing everybody mm. in
1: as much as he can. In 1371, he starts to look a bit broader, looks to the French for an alliance shore him up against the English, mm. and they sign a new defensive treaty, but Robert is keen to avoid actual war with the English. Yeah. So uh, he rejects their offer to pay off the ransom that French would have then wanted to come to Scotland and have a joint attack on the English. Yeah, yeah. So instead he just gets a defensive treaty, they'll help That's him, much you know. better.
0: That's what they're after.
1: He's also quite lucky in that, unlike David II, who's fighting Edward the Third. From the very start yeah, of his reign. Of Robert gets him in his dotage, his final yeah. years, when he's not very active at all, possibly suffering from a stroke. Yeah. So in thirteen seventy seven, Edward III dies.
0: Oh okay. Look who it is, it's Joker. It's the Joker, Richard II. By Joker you mean <laughs> Oh
1: You know you know what I, why I was put off? You were thinking you were I mean you were interpreting with your historical knowledge.
0: That's I've got to take a picture of this as and well. And also
1: to be fair, the picture.
0: Yeah, cuz I saw a jay, <laughs> I saw Richard the 2nd and he's got spike, he's got stripy trousers. <laughs> he's got a stripy trouser shoe combo. It's all one thing so it looked just like a jester. Yeah.
1: So Richard the uh, 2nd becomes king of England in 1377 and he is grandson of Edward the 3rd, which means that he's only 10 years old. Mm. So this is a great time to become king of Scots. And indeed there's not so much pressure on them, Robert stops paying the ransom. Yeah, yeah, fine. Now, although he doesn't want to have all-out war with the English, he does also, whilst publicly maintaining the truce, in private he's kind of giving tacit approval to the sort of more hawkish southern lords to do a spot of raiding.
0: Why is that? Just to sort of Because the English
1: still garrison a lot of Scottish castles. Oh, right. Thanks to when Edward III was doing all his business. So he's giving the approval of those border lords in the south, just to, you know, maybe, I'll turn my back.
0: So they say, can I do some raiding? And he just carries on eating, yeah. rather than saying no. Okay.
1: And then publicly you go, oh no, Naughty. I, oh, I'd never told them to do that. Naughty lords. Um, so uh, they recapture Annandale from the English, and then a uh, little, uh, little bit of input from John Oh uh, Good, here we go. In the year 1383, on the 4th of February, Lochmaben Castle was taken and destroyed by the Scots to wit, the Earl William of Douglas and Archibald. Now, I've concluded this, partly because it illustrates my point, but also, I'm afraid to say, that is the last entry of John of Fordham. What happened to him? He caught up. He has now become
0: the history. Right. He has died. Uh, tell me he did some predictions. It'd be great if he (laughs) said, here's what's going to happen next. From now on, yeah. he said, oh, that'd be amazing. By the year 2000, everyone (laughs) will own a book.
1: So I'm afraid that is our last Fordanism. So far, going pretty well. Yeah. However, things are going to take a bit of a turn. Oh, I definitely
0: thought this was it now.
1: His son's... ...are very powerful, which is great in terms of the Stuart dynasty establishing itself. Is it Henry II job? They're becoming a little bit overmighty. He's delegated a lot of authority, and they're mm. starting to undermine his position. Yeah. His third son, Alexander, up in Badenoch in the north, becomes known as the Wolf of Badenoch. Cool name. He uh, becomes notorious for employing uh, Catarans who are basically highland brigands. So he extorts money from landowners whilst continuing to expand his influence across the north. And Th- Robert II is criticised for his leniency in not dealing with Alexander.
0: So he's just—he's already taking an awful lot of pe- from people by being the lord, yeah. and then he's just robbing what's left. Yeah. Brilliant.
1: Down south, we've got his eldest son, John uh, the Earl of Carrick. So he's the heir and very dominant in the south where we've got all the border lords who mm. want war with England, they want to be raiding, they want to be fighting. Yeah. He's effectively getting a bit of a shadow administration
0: Developing. Okay, maybe a George the uh, fourth, equivalent, George yeah, second that sort
1: of thing. Yeah. So we've got all these people dissatisfied with Robert not dealing with the Wolf of Badenoch. We've got the Douglas Lindsay, the border families who really want to do more stuff mm. um, down southward England. There's kind of this developing tension.
0: Yeah, between keeping them in line by uh, letting them do what they want mm. and not having and war. the problem
1: is because he's delegated so much authority, mm. and because his son is opposing him, he's now got quite a powerful enemy mm. in february of uh, 1384 douglas leads uh, some raids into england so in april john of gaunt um retaliates
0: which one's douglas douglas is the south one
1: yes yeah, so he's down yeah. in the south so this is william douglas um i think he's going to die soon and be replaced by his son james but yeah a southern la- southern border lord um led a raid into england in april john of gaunt retaliated and burnt town of haddington mm. So the border lords want to retaliate for, retaliation. <laughs> for this outrage, but Robert is keen to avoid the war because he knows there's a peace treaty going on between England and France, and he wants to be part of it. Right. Consequently, he says no, joins the peace treaty, but Douglas led a raid in June anyway. <laughs> so in November, Robert calls a council meeting to decide how they're going to proceed when the truce ends in 1385. However. The parliament doesn't really go the way that he was hoping because his eldest son, the Earl of Carrick, turns parliament against him, presents his father as being physically incapable of leading the country in war or dealing with the wolf, the third son, in northern Scotland. Consequently, Carrick is appointed lieutenant of the kingdom and given, basically, power.
0: Didn't the king have anything to say about this?
1: Well, it's not clear if he opposes this and is just overruled because the whole council is against him. Or perhaps he is getting a bit yeah. old and tired, and is just sort of—that's
0: quite a change, around. I mean, shuffles s- off. He had it totally sorted with if everyone were if they're a happy family, or mm. uh, that's that's an a ideal end. But now they're dividing up again because presumably now the brother of the south that's now lef- le- lieutenant, yeah, is um. Uh, against the wolf in the north.
1: So one of his key pledges is that he's going to deal with the wolf in the north oh, and oh. do a bit more fighting with England in the south. He's just
0: your—if you want war, he's your man. Exactly. Hmm.
1: So we're not sure. I mean, he's 68 years old now, Robert. That is pretty old for— gosh, yeah—a monarch in this period. So it's not clear whether he's infirm and senile, or if it's just propaganda by Carrick. Um, it's also not clear if he's still doing a bit of governing, and Carrick is basically just in charge of saying, "Right, I'm saying we're going to war, and I'm saying we're dealing with Wolf." Yeah, you can do some of the paperwork, but basically, <laughs> I'm in charge. 1385, the French send over an army of uh, send an army of over 1,000 uh, troops over, who join Carrick and Douglas, and they do a bit of invading in northern England. Right, but the commanders fall out, huh. and uh, the English, led by led by Richard II actually, but probably mainly by John of Gaunt. Do another one of those retaliatory raids. in yeah. Yeah. Edinburgh. Oh, right. Then in 1388, we have the Battle of Otterburn. Mm. Now, the Scots actually enjoy a victory here against the English and capture um, Henry Percy, more famously known in Shakespeare as Harry Hotspur.
2: Yes! Son
1: of uh, the Duke of Northumberland. But, unfortunately, James Douglas, the new Earl Douglas, is killed in the process. Now, he was one of the key allies of Carrick. So Carrick has had this failed invasion in 1385 with the French. Yeah. Right, He's lost okay. one of his key allies in Otterburn. And um, when Douglas dies without an heir, Carrick tries to have him replaced with another one of his allies, but instead the earldom goes to a chap called Sir Archibald Douglas, who's the illegitimate son of that famous one in the reign of Robert the Bruce, the Black Douglas that burnt his own castle down and <laughs> Right. All okay. That sort yeah, of stuff. yeah. Archibald Douglas is the ally. Of Robert the Earl of Fife, who's the second son of Robert the Second, so we've now got the eldest son, Carrick, yeah, developing into a bit of a conflict with the second son Fife, and o- ongoing with the one in the north, ongoing with the one in the north, and the fact that technically Robert the Second is meant to be king, yeah, so basically the Stuart men are at war with each other.
0: Yeah, what they did by getting this Carrick chap in was just voting for civil war. And Carrick has not dealt with the Wolf of Badenoch Mm. at all. In
1: fact, he's actually become more powerful in this period. (laughs) What's more, in 1388, Carrick is seriously incapacitated by being kicked by a horse. Ooh, nasty. So he's not now actually able to do all of this kind of fighting and warring stuff. So we're going
0: to have a third one. Two kings incapacitated.
1: Well, in December of 1388, um, Fife has built up support among other members of the Douglas-Lindsay families uses that dissatisfaction with Carrick, and apparently his incapacity, their fears of another invasion to come from the English. So they have a council, and Fife overthrows his brother Carrick, and becomes the new lieutenant of Scotland. Fife being the one in the middle? Fife being son number two, has replaced son number one, who had replaced father. But father's still technically king at this point. Father is still technically king. Oh now, Parliament God. implies that Robert the Second is quite happy at this change. Mm. It's not clear if he's involved in it or if he's just a figurehead, just being kind of wheeled about by his various sons, yeah, um but he does apparently make a circuit of North East Scotland after this. Robert does Robert second does, and this also follows um the wolf in the North being removed as justicia, okay, so perhaps this is Robert you know going north and saying, "Oh, there's a new regime, it's all a bit better, everything's fine. I'm still king. hello."
0: Is he a bit of a spokesman, though, at this point, rather than...
1: Quite possibly. After his little tour in the north, he returns to his home of Dundonald Castle in Ayrshire. Mm. And then he dies. On the 19th of April, 1390, at pretty grand old age of 74. Gosh, that's
0: good, yeah. Mm. That's a shame. Mm. I've got to be honest. That uh, I, was, I was prepared for some seriously rexy credentials there.
1: So, I mean, up to 1384, it's all looking very, very yeah, good. But then yeah. we get the sons yep. kicking off Robert not being able to kick back, unlike the horse. <laughs> <so>.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a sad end. It is a and they dressed a sad him up end. as a woman. They did. <laughs> that's why he looks like he's not happy. Battleiness.
1: Some of the good stuff yep, for Robert in battle. During the reign of David II, he does get involved in some of the fighting. There was a battle of Halladon Hill in 1333. He's only 17 years old. Yeah, amazing. He's given command of the centre of the Scottish army. It's a really brutal battle, terrible terrain for the Scots. They're marching uphill into this just sort of rain of arrows. And mm. um, they suffer very heavy casualties. Stuart and Randolph apparently the only leaders to escape. Ooh. Now, it's not great in the sense that its defeat, but it is a full-on battle.
0: And it is a learning curve for him at 17. Hmm.
1: Andrew of Winton presents him as a bit of a patriotic hero in the uh, 1330s as a guardian of Scotland, helping to secure Scotland um, as guardian after 1338 when uh, Andy Murray died. Mm. And uh, in 1339, he managed to capture Perth Castle from the English. Now, in terms of the border raiding, mm. unlike David II, he doesn't have a relationship with Edward III, so he does make that alliance with the French, and he's actually done so in the 1350s as well to try and shore himself up against David II. I oh, think that's very good going. But when he becomes king, he's a little bit more cautious. So the problem is, England are garrisoning Berwick, Jedburgh, Lochmaven, Roxburgh. They've got all these castles in the Uh. south of Scotland. Robert can't avoid all-out war, but at the same time, he would kind of rather that they were Scottish than English. Yeah, he wants them back nonetheless. So he agreed to that defensive treaty with the French in 1371, covertly backs attacks on English-held estates, but publicly blames the border Mm. lords for disrupting the peace. Um, but then when edward iii died the raids become a bit more ambitious and his support becomes a little bit
0: more covert but i don't think that did him any favors in when he was ousted or at least presented as infirm yeah if he was publicly saying don't do this and they were happening that just adds to it yeah
1: but you said not to do it well, i yeah, i know what i said so 1376, they recover Annandale. 1378, Robert declares Coldingham Priory being part of Dunfermline Abbey's diocese mm. rather than Durham. Okay. Uh, 1384, the Dugtas who took Loch Mabin Castle and Teviotdale, plus there's an attack on Roxburgh Castle. Mm. So we do see a certain amount of action going on yeah. against the English. And then in 1388, we have the Battle of Otterburn. Now, technically, this is after Robert's been sort of demoted or reduced to being a figurehead.
0: We, mm, but it's in his reign. It's in his reign, and we're at the point, I suppose, where they're going to start perhaps taking less mm. role. Oh, well, certainly for the English, we're at the point where they start taking less role. Um, well, we're still in quite a I mean, we're still.
1: You know, what I year guess, are we? 1388. This mm, is. Okay, so we're yeah. still another
0: hundred years. Maybe. Hmm.
1: Um, now, the background to this: the Douglas family, the Scottish mm. Douglas family, is a preeminent border family in the south of Scotland. They've got a bit of a rivalry developing with the Percy family, who are in Northumberland, so the north of England. Hotspur family. Exactly. So, 1388, Douglas and Fife, second brother, um, launch a two-pronged invasion of northern England. So, the Percy brothers decide to target James Douglas, because he's got a slightly smaller force of about just under 3,000 troops. The Percys have got slightly more than that. So initially we've got the Douglas um, troops ravaging the countryside around Durham and Newcastle, but then Percy comes storming in Mm -hmm. and attacks them. So we have them fighting outside the walls of Newcastle. According to Jean Frossard, the great medieval chronicler of the Hundred Mm. Years' War and all that sort of stuff, Douglas and Hotspur actually fight in person. Really? And Douglas gets the better of Hotspur and captures his pennant, his little flag.
0: Does he have it on him, like a tag-team thing? I guess so, yeah. Like that's people. hot. Yeah. I've got the flag! <laughs> yeah, Come run on away! <laughs> wow, that's great. Um, not, not Robert, of
1: course, but, well, still. Not Robert, but still fun. Um, that's just the initial sort of skirmishing. Douglas and Co are then retreating, but Hotspur mm-hmm. tries to see off that retreat. So uh, he rides through the night and surprises Douglas in an attack at twilight.
0: Give me back my flag, you rotter! <laughs>
1: Um, so the uh, the other Scottish leader, the Earl of March, takes faces the initial attack from Percy, uh, but Douglas and his troops are hiding in the bushes, <laughs> and they then storm out, surprise them, and attack the English advancing cavalry from the side. Oh, okay. Um, Frossart declares it as one of the sorest and best fought and battles covered without cowardice or faint hearts. Uh, so he's they won that they won the
0: skirmish, but lost the battle in the first place.
1: Uh, well no So the Scots win that initial skirmish Yeah And then they win this battle Oh okay oh, So the um, Percy, Hotspur And his mm. younger brother Are both captured by the Scots Yeah And ultimately the English are routed The downside For Carrick certainly And for Douglas obviously Is that Douglas is killed in the battle mm. um, Apparently it's um, remembered By a very popular ballad Called The Ballad of Chevy Chase
0: uh, Of um, Griswold's family Christmas fame <laughs> Indeed
1: um, apparently it was a hunting party on hunting land. This ballad, so the hunting element is the chase, and it was in the Cheviot Hills. Helped, okay. Yeah. So there's some positives there. Mm, there are,
0: but well, when we come to review, them, I'll but, but mm, there are there are some mm.
1: all-out negatives as yeah. well as caveats to those positives. Yeah, exactly. The other aspect of David II's reign is that Robert's role is seen as being a bit suspicious by a lot of chroniclers. Other than Perth and capturing that castle, his record's pretty patchy. Mm. Halladon Hill is a big defeat. He submits in 1335, and then Andy Murray goes on and replaces him and does lots better. Mm. The Battle of Neville's Cross in 1346, many people see his flight from the battle, abandoning Mm. David II to his uh, his fate as quite duplicitous. Well, someone needs to do it. He's not going down fighting, though, is he? He's he's heading off home. Every opportunity.
0: I love that you went home, presumably you saw David and went, ooh, <laughs> and then went home and David's there with his feet up with a telly on. What are you
1: doing here? <laughs> the Lanacost uh, Chronicle said of uh, Neville's Cross, if one about him and March, who both retreat, if one was worthless, the other was nothing. The Stuart, overwhelmed by cowardice, broke his promise to God that he would never wait for the first blow in battle and he fled. Turning their backs... These two fled valiantly with their force. And <laughs> and fled entered... valiantly, <laughs> like Sir Robin, isn't Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and entered Scotland unscathed, and so they led the dance, leaving David to dance his own tune.
0: Oh, very nice, nice little metaphors.
1: We gave him a bit of credit for those raids into England that he gave that covert support to, mm-hmm. but they did, as a result, face retaliatory raids, which probably mm-hmm. did more damage than the Scottish ones. 1384, after they captured Loch Marbon and Teviotdale, John of Gort marches all the way to Edinburgh, was bought off at that stage by the Burgesses and just went on to burn Haddington instead. Yeah. 1385, we have the French sending over an invasion force, led by a veteran admiral, apparently, a chap called Jean de Vian, 240 ships transporting over 1,000 uh, soldiers. Wow,
0: that's quite an armada. But
1: the raids they made were pretty ineffective, they disagreed about strategy the French really wanted a prolonged campaign and the Scots obviously just didn't really fancy it <laughs> and we've got rather inactive kingship from Robert, mm. as we've seen he's perhaps lucky that he inherits the throne with the dotage of Edward III, the minority of Richard II, who's not that great a king anyway and the English are distracted by France
0: Yeah, yeah it's not good, Graham, is it?
1: When the French came over, Jean Frossart described Robert the Second in the greeting party for the French in quite uncomplimentary terms. Uh, okay. Red bleared eyes of the colour of sandalwood, which clearly showed he was no valiant man, but one who would rather remain at home than march to the field.
0: Hung over then? <laughs> Presumably. Yeah.
1: Oh. Hello, hello. We had a fight. Oh, I don't want to fight today. <laughs>
0: Right, is that that implying age as well? Yeah, it's
1: implying age, it's the eye thing, it's just that he's old and just really not up to the job. And as king, really, we don't have any evidence of him personally engaging in military matters, and prior to that, we don't have really any great
0: evidence of him being very successful. So in summary, I don't think he's very good at all. He's clearly, I loved, such a promising start. Yeah, 17. Before he was king. Yeah. And then the skirmishes that he was officially not even endorsing, yes, <laughs> didn't even go well, no, and then overthrown and there was some minor success, but he wasn't actually you
1: know in charge of it, or indeed probably approving of it,
0: yeah, true,
1: uh had no control over it, certainly. there's a lot of propaganda going on with Robert the Second, so David the second's allies very much do the propaganda against him mm. so we have the atlanticos chronicle Jean frossart spent some time at david's court right. so he's biased against him and then of course we've got carrick his son so at both stages of his career basically he's being kind of done over a bit by propaganda
0: yeah but he was overthrown by two successive sons <laughs> yes
1: uh he does have a bit of a tendency when the battle's on to kind of
0: he just does, he does seems to survive a lot of defeats <laughs> he does doesn't he oh that's that imagine having that uh, reputation in those days surviving yeah. defeats would yeah. be quite the put down oh, it's, I I really wanted it to be good because mm. he seemed like a decent bloke he was taken advantage of by his children I can't see it being higher than a 2 really no, I was
1: just thinking maybe one and a half. I mean, we don't really have... There's nothing there that suggests no. he's particularly good in battle, even.
0: No. Can you imagine his joy when he did capture that castle? He'd be like, We're bloody... We've done it! This is a party! <laughs> you see! <laughs> you see? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the French arrived the next day and he said, oh, I'm just... I'm absolutely exhausted, mate. I can't. <laughs> so that's a three and a half for battliness. Scandal!
1: I ding my bell. You did ding your bell. Um, the first thing I'll come to before we get to mm. the dinginess um, is his dubious loyalty.
0: Yeah, something, yeah, okay.
1: He's a slippery so-and-so, 1330s to 40s. He submitted to Edward III in 1335, um, and he was then deprived of his office as guardian, because mm. they obviously thought, this isn't really the guy that's going to do the business for us. <laughs> he fled Neville's Cross, probably mm. thought he was heading home to be king. Yeah. He then spent the next 11 years doing his very best not to help David get released. Yes. Shoring up his own position. And apparently there were widespread complaints of disorder when David returned, because Robert basically hadn't bothered actually governing the kingdom. He's just governing he his own.
0: Removed all the W's from the keyboards. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, when David does return, he has a mistress, Catherine Mortimer, whose family were a bit of a threat to Stuart interests in Manteith. Um, and she was assassinated in 1360 Ooh! On the road, And... The uh, chap who was arrested as a conspirator in the murder was one Thomas Stewart, who was I think a bit of a distant cousin. Right, that stinks to high heaven. Certainly wouldn't have damaged Robert Stewart's interests for Catherine Mortimer to disappear. Mm, yeah. And in
0: 1363
1: with other rebellions, he was involved in an armed rebellion against David, admittedly protesting poor governance, which is fair enough, uh. um, embezzling the ransom money, which is fair enough, but nevertheless, you know, this isn't a chap
0: that's you can guarantee being in your corner. I quite like him, though, because he's a survivor like, like that. I didn't like <laughs> David, basically. But he is a bit of a survivor, and he was sort of doing what was necessary at the time to become king. But then mm. when he was king, was less Machiavellian than when he was scheming to become king, and perhaps should have employed a bit more of those tactics. Well, it's tricky when it's to, when your own sons are the ones that are yeah. scheming back against you. Yeah, I he suppose. taught them well.
1: Um, let's get a bit more dingy. Yeah, ding was because of his first marriage to Elizabeth yeah. Muir, where it turned out that he hadn't actually properly married her in the first place.
0: I think he married her in the, the euphemistic sense. <laughs> yes.
1: And then the Pope had to do it <laughs> in a more literal way later on. The petition is quite interesting. It reads that Robert Stuart of Scotland, the king's nephew, carnally knew first Isabella, Ooh. and afterwards, in ignorance of their kindred, Elizabeth, who was herself related to Robert in the fourth degree of kindred, living with her for some time and having many children by her. The above king and bishops therefore pray the Pope that for the sake of the said offspring, who are fair to behold, grant a dispensation to intermarry and declare their offspring legitimate.
0: So they are just saying they weren't married and they were related and they got it on and there's also and they've got pretty
1: children. And there's also this Isabella lady that he... Yeah, beforehand. The thing beforehand who's also presumably so on
0: what crowns were they ever actually married not entirely sure
1: but then maybe, the Pope maybe he said, made some lovely promises
0: they'd, they'd got all the invitations ready yeah it's, didn't get them sent out there's a
1: bit of an invasion going on it yeah. just, you know, it's awkward
0: that's incredible that they, that the Pope can just do that just say okay yeah you are married yeah whatever yeah. that's why Henry VIII gets so annoyed fair enough yeah
1: and uh, also, I mean, it's not massively scandalous, but his second wife, Euphemia de Ross, was the uh, widow to the chap John Randolph, who'd been his yeah, aunt's like rival in the 1330s divorcees. Yeah, I really so he like that. Moves straight into his enemy's widow. It feels widow. A,
0: a bit like Henry II and Philip.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. Your enemy's uh, divorcee is my new potential wife. Now, Walter Bauer has something to say on this. Mm. It is not a matter for rejoicing on both sides if a king or prince fathers a son who is not the offspring of a marriage, but merely of pleasurable intercourse.
0: (laughs) Sorry, I'm being such a child, but they do have a way with words.
1: And he's he's saying this a little uh, red-facedly because Robert II does have children by women who are at no point his wife. Uh, and are they self-employed, shall we say? Well, we've got at least four illegitimate children by Mariotta Cardony, one by Maura Leach, and at least four by various other women. So he has at least eight illegitimate sons, and possibly more daughters that they didn't bother to write down. Right. Okay. That's Given that David II didn't have any children at all, That's good. Robert going, the II it? has at least eight illegitimate children. Yeah. How many... Oh, we'll get on to offspring in indeed uh, so as Alan Massey said whatever his deficiencies in battle and his <coughs> in the council chamber Robert was active enough in bed that's
0: definitely true
1: so this is a bit better I think than battliness
0: that's an awful lot better no wonder I like this man yeah we've got some <laughs> murder yes uh, or I mean as unlike other kings he perhaps um, farmed it out but it he was uh, he was in the crosshairs for that one yeah um, we've got an awful lot of juicy sexy bits yeah uh, and a bit of sort of disloyalty, treachery A bit kind of, of disloyalty, treachery well. uh, Did you do any burning?
1: No burning sadly
0: burning No not there. Uh, I, And obviously the other fella's wife Yeah um, But it's a it's a nice simmering pot Of your yeah. yeah, standard bit of What's that? Oh you've got a lovely bit of scandal on the go there mm. I'll have a bit It would <laughs> taste nice, it wouldn't blow you away But it's a four. That's quite that's quite like less than half marks of scandal there. Yeah. Well I'm thinking I'm thinking it's uh, it's uh, to really, really stretch this sort of soup metaphor that I've got going <laughs> here. Yes. It's uh it's it's absolutely it's a lovely tomato soup. <laughs> it's, it, it hasn't got any seasoning in it. But Oh look at that. That's I'd want I'd want a little bit more perhaps some robbery or something to take up to a five well suppose are you going he didn't for? murder a bishop. Well, I was thinking i was thinking of a six and a half. Well, that, it, then that would average him out close to five, which is probably fair, isn't yeah. it?
1: So that's a ten and a half, the scandal.
0: Hmm. Subjectivity.
1: Now, this is um, its a bit of a reign of two halves, really, <laughs> for Robert Second. The yeah. first half, it all looks pretty good mm-hmm. from this perspective. First of all, he's got to establish a new dynasty, which is not an easy thing to do. Um, and it's a pretty good achievement, the fact that he does do it. As we said, he wasn't universally popular when he came to the throne, but he's got all of those sons and daughters by which he's able to completely dominate Scottish earldoms.
0: Yeah, I thought that was
1: great, that bit. Really shores up the dynasty. So even when he himself comes a cropper, it's at the hands of his sons. It's not a rival family.
0: Yeah, it's like Napoleon putting all his uh, close relatives into all those other kingdoms. Yeah.
1: Um, in contrast, David II spent his whole reign trying to establish himself, mm. um, building up alternative bases of power, marrying himself off because he didn't have oh, sorry, children. Mar-
0: marrying himself. <laughs> it's a sure way to get loyalty. <laughs> what were you doing in that bedroom? I'm, I'm married. <laughs> Unlike
1: David II, he doesn't set the nobility off against each other. He doesn't undermine local lordships, trying to give land away from one family to another because it's fine. They're all basically his yeah. own family. Yeah. And the ones that aren't, he's able to keep them on side for a while as well. Apparently, he sends out lavish gifts to some of his rivals. Um, he compromises, He, as we saw with uh, Douglas right at the start, when mm. he rebelled and his mm. son got a marriage to a daughter. So that's a much better way of approaching Yeah, the things. first bit was great. And it's also notable, the fact we've got to remember, the Bruce dynasty only managed two kings. That's, that's shocking, isn't it? Really? The Stuarts are there till the end. Yeah. I mean, obviously, excluding, obviously, what we link up with Britain and the Act of Union, but for the Kingdom of Scotland, the last dynasty is the Stuarts. They're there from this point onwards.
0: So what date is this? What's it, when does he start? He's So he's 13...
1: Uh, well, I suppose we're we'll going to that later. Oh, okay. We're coming towards the end of the 14th century, so he dies in 1390.
0: And then James I is 1601 in England, isn't it? 03. 03. Act of Union, 1707. With
1: Anne. With Anne, and she's the last... And she's the last Stuart, and that's the point at which England and Scotland become the King- United Kingdom rather than two separate kingdoms.
0: 300 odd years. Yeah. Good grief.
1: And he's the one that gets it going at the start and sets it all up. Yeah. Now, he's not universally successful, of course, and there are various other problems and things for the Stuarts to deal with, but nevertheless, mm. he did have to get it started and he managed it. Mm. Fair play to him. Yeah, well done. We also have evidence of him brawling pretty well at the start. Finances receive a boost once they don't have to keep on paying that ransom. Mm. Wool trade flourishes. Enjoys a healthy surplus of uh, nearly £2,000 from an income of over £14,000. Right. Money's starting to pick up a bit. Now, David II has largely confines himself to southern Scotland and Lothian. But as you said, Robert Stewart had grown up in slightly more Gaelic areas in the west and the north. So he's a little bit more itinerant. Hmm. in his style. He makes an annual circuit around the kingdom. Doesn't have to impose on the local lords, because there's all these Stuart residences
0: everywhere yeah, now. Yeah.
1: Um, lots of charters are issued from slightly more remote hunting regions. Because okay. he love to hunt. Yeah. So as David's maybe a bit more stuck in a couple of places, doesn't see that much of the kingdom, Robert's you know maybe actually a bit more...
0: Maybe a bit more popular on the back of it. Yeah, a bit more pan-Scotland.
1: And um, also credit, I think, for avoiding getting dragged into the Hundred Years' War. Gosh, yeah. Imagine,
0: yeah. I mean, they don't have. They've
1: got too much going on at home, and they. And well, we have a few raids, as we mentioned, but there's no real invasion in the style of Edward the Third. Mm. It's just the English when they get annoyed about the Scots invading, they just show them who's boss. But that,
0: otherwise, that's pretty true. To keep them out of the Hundred Years' War, that would was such the hot potato at the time. Mm. Could very easily have got dragged in, especially with that a thousand Frenchmen coming over. And
1: we saw what happened to David II when he gets involved and then gets captured at Neville's Cross. Mm. So it's rather better and he doesn't have the succession woes of David II either. No. Just part of the problem. So as Walter Bower said, his times were prosperous by way of a great abundance of provisions, fruits and animals and especially the tranquility of peace. Initially. Initially. This is mm. the problem because after 1384, of course, he is no longer really in charge at all. Mm. Now, there's great debate about whether he was a spent force at this time. He was 55 when he became king, Hmm. and he's not going to get more vigorous and with it as life goes on. His health may be failing, his eyesight might be going. In 1384, uh, when he's brought down, the Scottish Parliament recorded that our Lord King himself is unable to be attentive continually to the execution of justice and the law of his kingdom in person.
0: Is it a, a, a George III scenario? Is he? I mean, I can't remember what we did there when he was incapacitated. Did we did we give him credit. We gave game? him credit
1: for stuff that's going on in his reign. That was a combination as well with the fact that they're not. They weren't that yeah. controlled directly in a lot of the events anyway. Mm. But so certainly that second half of his reign, it's not clear whether he's kind of no longer really got his.
0: I feel like he no was capable
1: and just lost 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 it. support. Lost support. Yeah. Mm. Even if he was healthy, as you're saying, um, he does seem to have essentially let his sons and local lords do their own thing. Mm. So Jenny Wormold, historian, characterises this as laissez-faire kingship.
0: Yeah, which does go a bit more hand in hand with this different character we see once he becomes king a bit yeah. more laid back. And uh, that does basically weaken the strength of the crown, because the local lords are so
1: powerful. Mm. So even if he's still with it mentally, yeah, he has... He isn't really in control of events as yeah. much because he has let other people do the bidding. Mm. So it does come back to bite him. Um, and it does mean that he's got over-mighty subjects. Um, it's just unfortunate that they happen to be his own sons.
0: Yes, yeah. I do feel like he's he's dealing with John and Richard over here, you yeah. Know, yeah. trying to keep them at bay.
1: And he's also kind of storing up trouble for his successors as kings because we've got all these really powerful lords and mm. as things go on, they're not all going to be immediately you know trying to become king but they're going to think well I don't have to do what the king tells me I just do my own thing that's been established now
0: yeah it's such a well worn pattern though that they just divide
1: and mm. and of course let's not forget he is sidelined by his first son in 1384 and effectively a second son in 1388 it's pretty poor and in terms of law and order in the north of scotland it's not so great with alexander the wolf of badenoch
0: it's really poor
1: um, as we said, he's extorting protection money from wealthy landowners. Um the Bishop of Murray was so incensed that he preached against him from Elgin Cathedral. Ooh, dear. So he's you know he's got conflict with the bishops mm. as uh, as well as everybody else. Robert's criticising criticised for failing to curb Alexander's powers. And apparently Robert himself had been criticized for using Catarant by David II in thirteen sixty eight, so it's a bit of a mm, mm, pattern oh, here. It, yeah. Alexander's maybe his favourite and it's maybe tactics that he learnt from his father. Uh, it's a bit of a sense of a mafia state, really. His sons are just able to do whatever the hell they like. Yeah, and the only I, fighting is really between them.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, he—if you were, I mean, subjectivity being, would you like to be a subject? Mm. If you have this uh, disorder up in the north, similarly, whether it's um, it's actually supported on the quiet, mm. you've got all the disorder in the south, which then leads to retribution for the English if you're If you're looking at it as a subject, it just looks like the King is just letting anything go.
1: and we saw in the thirteen fifties when David was captured when David comes back, he's got all these complaints of poor government and mismanagement yeah. and things, so yeah, maybe yeah. you know Robert does maybe tend to look after his own interests and not actually.
0: They say fair that the historian had it right. Mm. In his defence, once
1: more, we do have to remember the propaganda element. Mm. In terms of all the complaints about the stuff going on in the north, we really see at this point a sort of hysteria and bias from writers in the south about the Highlands.
0: What, there was division there as well. There?
1: Yeah, so John of Forden oh, is hey. one of these, and other southern writers. They're quite. Um, they don't like the fact that Robert is Gaelic
0: friendly. I can't believe they even. Even want to exist as a nation of Scotland. There's so many individual divisions. <laughs> um,
1: despite two palace coups, the evidence does kind of suggest that Robert the Second, either by a bit of action or simply by his presence, keeps the lid on the descent right. in the country. So actually, the worst stuff of the wolf in the north actually happens after Robert's death. Oh, okay. So maybe a suggesting that by even just by being there, it's maintaining a
0: certain amount of order. Certain amount, but then there's the argument that he never sorts it out, then yeah.
2: Hmm.
1: But so we had certainly up till 1384, there's a lot of things to be impressed about. Let's not forget about what he does with the dynasty, yeah, keeping out of the wars, Keep, sort of yeah. Stuff. I
0: think that's the biggest one for me keeping yeah. out of the wars, uh, the Hundred Years' War, um, and putting being basically randy enough to have enough offspring to put everyone in positions of power. Which does come back to bite him, but it's setting up a dynasty if they don't start these factions again. Yeah. But, there's those two points. Hmm. But on the other hand, if you were a subject looking at it on the ground at the time, you've got chaos up north, raids coming back to bite you in the south. Uh, It looks like total... um, uh, lack of control within his own family at one point he's sidelined yeah. I'll give him, I know this seems really harsh, <laughs> I'm going to give him two mm-hmm. for those two points Yeah, almost all of those are just because he starts a dynasty and I think it's just luck really, <laughs> and, uh, that it survives because it looks at this point that it'll all come tumbling down into mm. brother- brotherly fighting again. I'm
1: going to be slightly more generous and give him a I was thinking about a four, but maybe we'll come down to three and a half. Because, mm. like I said, it does just feel that he's not really that much in control. He's probably... He's got enough energy at the start to sort of set up the Stuart dynasty. But it's almost like he then thinks, "Oh, well, I can just relax now, you guys, and yeah. just take care of everything.
0: Because by that point he is 60 Yeah.
1: Which gives him 5.5 for subjectivity.
0: Oh, this is a shame. Longevity.
1: So, he is king from the 22nd of February, 1371... To the 19th of April 1390 so despite his age that's quite an impressive 19.17 years as king
0: how many of those
1: was it directly him well so up till 1384 so that's about 13 years it's nearly 14 bad. years Yeah, so that gives him a score of 11 out of 20 for longevity okay isn't too bad no
0: dynasty not the program
1: well as we know he's active in the bedroom he certainly is um, he apparently had about eight children by Elizabeth Muir and five Goodness. by Euphemia de Ross. Whoa. Now, sadly, they don't all survive him. Mm. But he does, I think, leave behind nine children. Wow. Which is just below the uh, ten of uh, Malcolm III. But nevertheless, that's the second best that we've got for the Scots and a score of 18 Boom. out of 20. So he's done rather better for longevity and dynasty. Often yeah. these are the ones that can bring people down. But yeah. for Robert... It's uh, been his rescue, so he actually gets a score of uh, 48.5, which puts him... uh, hmm. That puts him 12th currently in the overall standings, in terms of a total score.
0: 12th out of what will it be our total number of mollies?
1: Well, I mean, we've currently got 34.
0: Well, that's
1: not bad. But... What does that mean for him overall? Does he have that certain something, that great achievement, that lasting legacy, that star quality that we call...
0: Rex Factor! Do you know something I forgot to ask you? What's that? How did he die? Uh, We
1: don't know. I think just being quite old by that point. He's not murdered or there's no... Hilarious. He, he had a uh, If only John of had managed another ten years, I'm sure we'd yeah. have had a very colourful description.
0: I think it's fair to say he had a lace laisse, lay laisse, laissez faire approach to life. Yeah. And that's how he died. <laughs> he had a laissez-faire approach to life at the end as well. Oh, yeah. oh, forget it. Uh okay, no. I no, think- I mean
1: I suppose really his own his his lasting legacy you could say is the establishment of the Stuart dynasty. But he does uh, inherit the throne. It's not like he conquers and forms a yeah. dynasty.
0: And yes, he does have a lasting legacy. Um, and if you if this were a review of the dynasties of Scotland, mm. the Stuarts would certainly be up there. Yeah. And perhaps it would be this chap sort of holding up the sign because he was uh, the start of it. But mm. I don't think I don't think he he'd get it based on that. Sadly, for Robert II,
1: I I have to agree. It's it's definitely got to be a no. He He had promised, perhaps, maybe Mm. earlier if he'd become king, he'd have been better, but in the end, it's not all that
0: great. He just got it, he just had the timings wrong. He should have died at 60 odd, as most people were at this (laughs) time, and been king from 17. Then it might have been very good. Mm.
1: As it is, Robert II does not have the Rex Factor. Uh, Let us know what you think. Get in touch with us on uh, social media um, on Twitter at RexFactorPod. Like us on Facebook. Email us, at hotmail.com and go on to rexfactor.wordpress.com, read the blogs, and complete the polls on all the monarchs to say whether or not you think they deserve the Rex Factor. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would be very helpful if you could leave a review on iTunes and subscribe. Yep, that's helpful. Um, you can do a one-off donation on PayPal if you'd like to give us a bit of help with the monies. Yeah. And uh, recently we've had some lovely support from Bill Kirkpatrick, Joe Welsh, Madeline Gray, Ryan Chesley... Timothy172, and Pete Tung. Well, thank you very much, chaps. Kind of you. You can also donate on a monthly basis via crowdfunding and join the Rex Factor Privy Council. Oh, yes. So you click the Be My Patron logo, and uh, for $1 a month you get a mention on the podcast, $2 a month you get a comment read out, Mm -hmm. Um, $5 a month you get free access to our special episodes, which usually cost $2 to buy, $10 uh, a month you get a mug, $15 a month, you get to commission a blog on the subject of your choice, and And $25, you get to commission a special episode on the subject of your choice. And each of those increments, you get all of the stuff at the lower levels as well. And all of those people get access to our bonus Privy Chamber podcasts, which are little things we do after recording this episode, after recording all the main episodes, we have a bit of post-episode A bit more relaxed. Yeah. I mean not that we're particularly tense now. <laughs> but, you get to sit down. Yeah, I get to sit down. Too. So welcome to our new Privy Councillors. Oh. Um, JKE Jarrett, Mary Bingham, Fiona Sanders, Journaling J B, Courtney Gwillat, Scott Freeman, Anna Hurley, Arthur Stewart, Postat Einar Elton, and Amanda Lett.
0: Hey, arise. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. We also now have
1: a new special episode out on Victorian engineer extraordinaire Isambard Kingdom Brunel.
0: The finest named engineer and Victorian ever. It's quite magnificent. We've got all of his great projects like the Great Western Railway, the mm. steamships. The, the weird and wonderful
1: train innovations. Exactly, the Thames Tunnel, yeah. Clifton Suspension Bridge, all that sort of stuff and more besides. Uh, you can get that for just $2 a pop as well as all of our other previous special episodes.
0: And that's quite a lot of Coddy there, isn't it? How, how long is he? It's a couple so, of yeah, hours? So yeah, like
1: all the uh, special episodes, they're all about just over two hours, so it's more than your regular episodes, yeah. so you get got some, uh, some minutes for your bucks.
0: Yeah, we sort of have a bit, few more asides in those ones, yeah. and are willing to travel off down rabbit hills.
1: Now we've had some messages. Good. This one is from Charles Hargrove by email. It took me a while to place it, but I finally realised why Ali sounded so familiar. Huh? He does a good penfold from Danger Mouse with his frequent crumbs. Penfold?
0: Oh, my word. As a child... Tr- crumbs? As a child from the 80s, I have uh, a very fond memories of Penfold, but I'd rather think of myself as the Danger Mouse character. Uh,
1: David Douglas James sent an email asking about Elizabeth II and the Scottish Monarchs. And we've had a couple of messages about this. You're saying one of my favourite parts of the English monarch series was how you noted how each monarch was related to Elizabeth II. Presumably, since Elizabeth II is descended from James VI and I, you could do the same thing for all the Scottish monarchs.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: So I've had a little look at this. The reason I stopped doing that, I wasn't 100% certain about whether or not the website was definitely accurate that I was right. using. But as a as a little guide, Kenneth MacAlpin is the 33rd great grandfather of Elizabeth II. Right, compared that. to Alfred the Great, who is the 32nd. Macbeth is the fourth cousin, 27 times removed, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> is there a website you just plop this in? Uh, there's a website which features it for some of the Scots, not right. all of them. Uh, Robert the Bruce is the 19th great-grandfather, and then the one we've just done today, Robert the Second, is the 17th great-grandfather, Elizabeth II.
0: I'm sort of surprised. I thought it would be more than that, but I suppose if each one lives for, on average, 60 years or something. Yeah.
1: We should also note that since we last recorded, Elizabeth II has become the first uh, monarch to in our country to celebrate the Sapphire Jubilee—65 really. years.
0: Because we did a big, big one for the 60th, wasn't it? Mm. it well, there wasn't any big grand celebration. Was that for five it. years ago, was it? Yeah, really? good grief. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course the Olympics. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm. I had a message about my pronunciations from uh, Claire. <laughs> oh, this at is a custard rampage, and oh. uh, helped by Scott Thompson at Alpen Viking. Um, apparently, what I was saying as Buchan should be pronounced as Buckan. Okay. Or buccan. So the hard K. More hard cheese. Yeah. And also Burr, as I've been saying, should be burr.
0: Oh, that's weird. Because usually that's Burr down here. Isn't it? Well, well, that's like Edinburgh. What wondering
1: because, yeah. And yet, on the other hand, in England, the Burrs, as I've been saying, obviously become Boroughs, yeah. So I don't L- know if I mean-
0: London Borough of Hackney or something. Yeah.
1: So I don't know if we've been mis- mispronouncing the Scot- the Saxon ones or if it's in Scotland that it's pronounced Burr. You know, oh, Burra. gosh, that's confusing. <laughs> um, a couple of reactions to our podcast on Robert the Bruce. Yeah. Which went down very well with uh, quite a few people, particularly some of our Scottish Thank listeners. Uh, and this one on Twitter, at SciencePie. Good handle. Probably my favourite episode of both seasons. Oh. Definitely not sitting here applying war paint or anything. Huh. Weeks of Ali barely able to contain himself at our subjugation. It's great to see him get all his Edwards and eat it. <laughs> <That's> no shame. <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> and uh, Sue Clark at Sue Clark 57 asked, why is his middle name The? Good one. Is Bruce a title? Um, I should have uh, answered this really on the podcast, but originally it was Robert Do, uh, Robert de Bruce. So is the For the previous ones. Well, it's more of Bruce. Okay. De, as in of, so it's of the Bruce family. But we've, for whatever reason, transfer, uh, translated that into the for him.
0: Oh, that is slightly weird, isn't it? It sound a bit cooler, though. Yeah, it sounds a lot cooler.
1: Mm. Um, we had a few reactions to Robert the Bruce's digital face as reconstructed mm. by Liverpool John Mills University um, on Facebook. Sophie Wing says he looks like he's going to tell me it's only a... F- oh, no, actually, some of these in relation to his card.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I'll do that again. So we've got some reactions to Robert the Bruce's uh, card, as we mm. described last... Uh, no, no. Some reactions to Robert the Bruce's card. Sophie Wing says he looks like he's going to tell me it's only a flesh
0: wound. He, uh, absolutely he does. Yeah. yeah. This is Monty Python Holy Grail background reading.
1: Um, Margaret Burt says he looks like a dancing extra from Spamalot.
0: Again, background reading Monty in, Python
1: in a kingly way. And uh, James Hook. I'm not sure if this was about the card or about his digitally reconstructed face, which mm. pretty menacing. Now I know why Edward II liked ditch digging.
0: That <laughs> yeah, it was a lot, lot more straightforward. Mm. And, digging his own grave.
1: Yeah. And some uh, messages from some of our privy councillors. Yes. Uh Mark Craster Chambers uh apparently has his own podcast called The Teller. Oh right. Which is a storytelling podcast if uh, any people want to go and check that out on uh, on iTunes.
0: Stories that he's written or uh
1: I'm not sure if he's written or if that he's telling, so he's okay. sort of, you know doing well, the right. mm. narration. For. Yeah, so if you'd like to go and check that out Sounds good Please do uh, Mark Summers uh, said Due to your efforts I now get a smile every time I pass our office automated external defibrillator <laughs> And hashtag <laughs> Oh yes Iath. Keep up the great work Ali and Graham Or is that Gandalf
0: Oh we Because we were just only today talking about defibrillators Yeah, and that's I've been doing the first
1: day training But yes, yeah. an, an AED oh, <laughs> For yeah. us it's Iath But for everyone else, everyone it's, else a, it's a
0: life-saving it. device Indeed Um it's another way. He's right there in everyone's faces, but no one can see it. Yeah. Well spotted, that man.
1: Scott Freeman said, I realised early in the Scottish series that Terry Pratchett based a set of characters in his Discworld series on the Picts. He had them be small, tartan-wearing fairy folk and called them Pixies, the wee Freemen.
0: Oh, that's quite... I mean, they're a bit harder than pixies, aren't they? <laughs> uh,
1: Melita Pendergast on Braveheart. So that according to IMDb, when asked by a local why the Battle of Stirling Bridge was filmed on an open plain, mm. Gibson answered, the bridge got in the way. Aye, oh. mm. a local answered, that's what the English found. <laughs> oh, that sounds quite a lot like urban legend, but oh, I really hope that's true. And uh, Amanda Lett says, you boys are doing a great job of keeping me company while I work in my PhD. Ooh. I want to give a shout out to my friend Mead, Caitlin Mead who told me about your podcast in the first place keep up the good work and congrats on the baby Ali. Thank you very much if, let us know what your PhD topic is that sounds interesting. That. So we've had uh, mention of your baby there yes, and we also mentioned the awkwardness of uh, naming and flard. It's tricky lots of people sent in suggestions there were a lot of
0: Edgars a few Dunstons. Uh, an awful lot of Edwards Yeah, and to be honest he was in the front running Mm. Obs. Uh because um, of ob- um yeah. Obviously. <laughs> oh god, I'm tired, Graham. Um <laughs> Instant Talk of Baby instantly. Yeah, yes. I just remembered his happy screaming face. <laughs> um Uh but tricky with the surname Hood. Very tricky. Edward Hood. Edward Hood, Hood. Mm. Edward, Edward. Edward Not as bad as Edward Woodward. So we went for something similar. Mm. Rupert. Rupert. As in Prince Rupert.
1: Of, of the Rhine.
0: Rhine, yeah. And if you Google him, you see he cuts a very dashing figure, right, yes, which so. I'm uh, hoping he lives up to. <laughs> but we had to get a, a slightly more rexy name in there in the middle. So it had a George for the middle.
1: Classic George, replacing the Stuarts, of course. Yes. Mm.
0: Uh, and for the surname, we've played it traditional and <laughs> kept mine, <laughs> which isn't terribly rexy. But I suppose it's a bit sort of Robin Hoodie when we see Richard the I i mean robin as well got
1: a lot of suggestions from people
0: i genuinely really like that name it's a in <laughs> fact my brother nearly had it as a middle name but he he is christopher so it'd have been christopher robin <laughs> and then robin hood
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh that would have been amazing
0: so yeah there we are he's very very lovely um but apologies for my absence on facebook recently and i will get back to it <laughs> life has been rather busy
1: so that is ali's baby mm. And that is Robert the II. Mm. Thank you for this. Oh, by the way,
0: oh. Rupert mm. is German for Robert. Is it? Yeah. Ah. And there we go on on that bombshell. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. that's
1: it for Robert the Second. He doesn't have the Rex Factor. We will see next time if uh, we can be a little bit more successful with the Stuart dynasty. Who is it? Uh, well, that might be telling because we've got a bit of a complex situation, okay. haven't we? We've got Carrick overthrown, Fife mm. in charge, but...
0: Yeah, That's that dead. sounds trouble. Spells What's trouble. Going
1: happen? See you next time.
0: Cheerio.